Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to share a story with you. Now, I've shared this before, so those of you who have heard it before, uh, I'm not trying to be redundant. It's just, for me, it's the best illustration of what we're going to talk about today. So a few years ago, uh, probably when Ethan was about five years old, my brother uh, Willie came to visit us. And he's, at that time, was about uh, 18, 19, still a very young man. And uh, we had just bought this uh, used sectional couch. And it was massive. It was really too big for our living room, but we loved it. And, uh, you know, Willie was there, so he helped me move it and stuff. It was pretty cool. And uh, so we got it all set up, and we're sitting in the living room like, where's Ethan? And uh, so my brother's got this goofy grin on his face. He's trying not to, you know, spill the beans. But what eventually happens is Ethan pops out of the couch, like out of the couch. And because uh, there was like this big cushion and this other big thing that was kind of like a flap. And, and like, I, I was so astounded that he could be completely enveloped in this couch. Um, I, you would never be able to tell that he was there. There was no lump. You know, usually when kids hide, they have like a pillow on their head. Like, you can't see me. But he was totally gone. And then boom, out of nowhere. He was completely in that couch or enveloped in that couch. I bring that, up with you, uh, bring that up this morning because in the verse that we're about to share or the verses we're about to share, Paul will use the, the, the phrase in him or with him seven times in seven verses. You get the idea. You get the impression that, that being united with Christ more than just, you know, a, a religious affiliation or underneath, you know, an umbrella of spirituality that the Bible's calling us to more than that type of an allegiance. We are called to be like Ethan in that couch. We are to be enveloped by Jesus, completely in him, sold out to everything or to him completely, forsaking all other things. And just as a side note, most people will hear that and say, oh, I got to give up everything. What ends up happening is you give up everything and the Lord then blesses you and you're able to appreciate those things he gives you better. You begin to see them through the lens of Jesus rather than the lens of selfishness and, and, and self-fulfillment. Uh, you start to see them as gifts from God, and you, you actually enjoy them more as a Christian than before, as long as they're not something sinful. So Colossians 2 and 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity, deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands. By the way, we're going to talk about circumcision today. Really fun topic. I love it. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God, uh, excuse me, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made a life together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And next week, we're going to look at that last verse uh, that'll be part 15. But, but you notice in him, with him, repeated throughout those verses. Let's pray. Jesus, our goal is to see you high and lifted up, that all men may be drawn unto you. 
Father, the last thing I want to do is impose legalisms or, or these standards that you have not set forth. But Father, I do pray that as your Holy Spirit works in us, that you would lead us to repentance, that you would lead us, Lord, not just to guilt and shame, but to a place where we can overcome the things that we've done in the past and even the things, Lord, that we'll end up doing in the future. Father, we're not looking for a blank check or, or just someone who will just wash away our sins as we do them. We're looking for a relationship with you that transcends all of these things, that is a high and above uh, the, the life that we see before us. I pray, Lord, for Jesus to do everything today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, as I mentioned before, being a Christian is one of those things in our modern day culture that's sort of skewed and, and manipulated and just, uh, I use the word perverted. I don't mean that in the sexual sense. It's just changed from what the Bible calls Christianity. So if you watch uh, your, your major media outlets, when they start talking about spirituality, especially Christianity around Easter time and around Christ uh, Christmas time, um, what they'll qualify as somebody as being a Christian, they'll qualify them as somebody who basically maybe has a Bible, has been to church, maybe grew up in the church, um, prays to no one specific, but just prays in general, um, gives financially to, a, uh, to some type of a church or a, a synagogue or a mosque, anybody who, who gives, they'll consider that Christianity. Christianity involves those things, not the mosque and synagogue thing, but Christianity involves giving and church attendance and praying and reading your Bible. But in and of those things themselves, those don't make you a Christian. Those things are an overflow of being a Christian. Being a Christian is someone who has put their faith in Jesus. You read the book of Romans, Paul goes to great lengths to prove to the readers of that letter initially and to us even today that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. People are not born into this. People are not given this as an inheritance. Your walk with Jesus is your walk with Jesus as you walk with him. Nobody's doing that for you. It is through your faith alone, through the scriptures alone, through grace alone that you receive this. And so there's no works that we can boast of. I did this and now I'm saved. There's no works to boast of. You can't, you can't brag to God about how great you are. Like, can you imagine the hymn, How Great Thou Art, if you were referring to yourself, to God, How Great I, I Art? Yeah, that'd be a really, it's, it's already a hard song to sing because of the thou arts. But, but the point is like, we're not bragging to God about how great we are. We're, we are, we're talking about how great he is because of what he's done. When you have a proper view of Christianity, when you are uh, in faith or in him through his works and not your own, you begin to marvel at what he's done. When you look at the world, and as I get older, I look at the world and I get so distraught and I wonder, will, will, you know, the same thing Jesus said, will he return and find anybody of faith? Not because I alone have faith or I alone have the best gospel or I alone are, am really great at this. It's, nothing could be further from the truth, really. I just wonder if, if the path we're going down now uh, ends in a good way. I, I don't see how it can. Um, but I have to keep looking to Jesus. My goal is Jesus. Our goal is Jesus, putting faith in him, believing him, trusting him. 
as Paul is, is talking to these Colossians, remember, their whole problem is that they were looking for fullness outside of Christ. So they maybe came up to an altar, said a prayer of some sort, attended church, and were walking around feeling empty or, or half full. And so they were always looking for something more, not realizing all they needed was Jesus. It's not that Jesus wasn't enough in their life. They just had a half-hearted attempt at salvation. So Jesus was good for potlucks and a Bible study and having a couple new friends, but Jesus was not everything to them. I find the, the quickest way for Jesus to uh, get us to that place usually is found in tragedy. You know, I've met numerous Christians, and I know myself, uh, my faith increased not in times of abundance, but in times of desperation where I had nothing but Jesus. Jesus became all the more real, all the more there, not because he changed, but because I was changed. And many of you can share that testimony as well. You, you were, you know, you thought you were doing all right, and then something happened, and then all you had was Jesus, and you realized, wow, your relationship with him before was nothing like the way it is now. And so Paul's going to great lengths to tell these Colossians, look, everything you're looking for is found in Jesus. All the fulfillment, all the contentment, all of the joy, all of the peace that you seek is found in Jesus and found in Jesus alone. You're looking in, in, in Judaism and you're looking in mysticism and you're looking in vague spirituality and you're looking into your, your job and into your relationships and into money and into this uh, habit or, or hobby or addiction or whatever. You're looking in all these different places and you're looking past the only one who will fulfill you in the way that you are desperately seeking for. You must be found in him. In verse 11, it says, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I'm going to stop right there. Initially, I was going to go into this big, long, detailed sermon about circumcision. Felt like that wasn't what the Lord was leading me to, and I'm very thankful for that. But we do, it does bear mentioning because Paul uses that analogy or that metaphor. Um, if you read Romans chapter 3, and I would encourage you to do that today, um, Paul goes to great lengths to talk about how, you know, if somebody is circumcised yet commits sin, what good is the circumcision? And if somebody who is, is living a sanctified life but yet is uncircumcised, well, what does that mean? He goes on to point out that circumcision has more to do with our physical bodies, has everything to do with our heart. And so for the Christian, circumcision means nothing physically, but means everything physically. It speaks of, or excuse me, spiritually speaks of uh, sanctification. It speaks of that old life being cut off from our new life. So if we've come under the assumption that maybe Christianity is just our old life cleaned up a little bit. Paul uses something as drastic and as, as seemingly barbaric as circumcision to exemplify the difference between our old life and our new life. And so circumcision has less to do with our bodies and has everything to do with our hearts and our souls and our spirit and, and who we truly are. Paul also uses baptism as an image. And we're, hopefully, if there's ever sun again, there was sun this week. I think I have a picture of it. It was really nice. Um, if we ever have sun again this summer, we're going to have baptisms. We're going to baptize folks who want to be baptized, whether for the first time or the next time or the last time, wh whatever time you want to do it. 
um, we're going to baptize people. And Paul uses that uh, as, as a metaphor or an analogy, again, for old life to new life. In baptism, symbolically, not, not actually. The water isn't magic and the dunking isn't magic. It's symbolic of what Christ has done for us and what we are doing for Christ. And we are through this, uh, one of the few rituals we have as Christians, we are showing to the church, yes, we are a part of you. And I am a part of you and we are together in this. In, in the going down into the water, it's as though we are dying to our old life. And as we are being raised up, we're being resurrected to the new life. Eternal life starts in the moment where you give faith to Jesus, where you put your faith in him. Paul uses those to show the drastic difference between old life and new life. Being in him or being outside of him. There is no, there is no other place to be. There's no place of neutrali- ne- neutrality? Neutral? Neutral? There's no Sweden in spirituality. You can't be neutral. Romans 8 and 1, I'm going to turn there real quick So I want to quote it right. But Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are either in him today or you are out of him today. Now for the Christian, let me, let me give you a little bit of a warning or a, a, an assurance um, if you are a Christian, you have placed your faith in Jesus and you might be blowing it like, I'm really bad at this, Jesus, but man, you're my God. I believe that you're the son of God. You've been raised from the dead. You were born of a virgin. You've saved me from hell. You filled me with your Holy Spirit. I mean, I believe all that stuff. I'm just really bad at this. And that's myself included, most of us. It's okay. Okay, Jesus is bigger than all of that and we'll get better. But if we're in that place today, we don't need to fear being outside of Christ anymore. If our salvation, and that's what we're talking about in this moment, salvation. If our salvation was dependent on us, we'd have lost it a long time ago. Because we're like, we're like little kids with greasy fingers holding a vase. It's just going to fall out. We're just going to, we're going to do something to break that vase. We're going to do something to lose that salvation. But salvation, the security of it is found in Christ and what he has done. To me, that's a, a blessed assurance. We sang that this morning. Our assurance is not that it's dependent upon us, but that it's dependent upon him. But now we've been saved to good works. And we've been studying this on Wednesday nights during our James Bible series, or James Bible study, um, that now that we're saved, we are called and filled to do good things. To go out and, uh, and, and to reach the lost and to serve those who... Uh, nobody else wants to serve and to love those nobody else wants to love, to do things that will look different than the world because, man, we got Jesus and it should be different. I read a story this week. It was a blog about a young lady. And you guys know what clickbait is? Clickbait is when you're scrolling on Facebook or Twitter and you get like half a headline. This guy goes to the department store and what happens next blows your mind. You're like, I gotta click that and see what it says. And it's like, you got a jacket for 50% off or something. And it's like, that was dumb. Clickbait. They know, these people who write these things and they know our nature. Oh, I gotta, I gotta know what that says. Click. Well, this started off as clickbait. A woman goes to strip club with pastor's wives. Well, I gotta hear more about this. Um, if you guys read, that, read it, then whatever. If you haven't, spoiler alert, I'm gonna tell you what happens. So what I anticipated happening, I didn't really think it was a woman and pastor's wives going to a real strip club or, or to, to, uh, to enjoy, quote unquote, a strip club. 
what they did was they made a regular ministry of going to a strip club and ministering to the ladies there who stripped. They would go there as awkward and as, 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 as weird as it felt to go to a place like that, as fearful as these women were. They went in there and they talked to these ladies. They got to know them. They'd bring them meals. They would just be there for them. And eventually what happened over time is these ladies who didn't trust anybody, especially males, began to trust these ladies. And they began to attend a Bible study held in the strip club. I don't know who this, uh, <laughs> I want to say maybe the strip club owner was a Christian, but that doesn't sound right. <laughs> so he allows that. And, 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 and eventually these women start turning their lives around. And so one of the things the ladies remarked, one of the, the stripper ladies said was, uh, you guys aren't like the other churches. And, and so this writer of this blog says, why? She says, because the other churches just send us hate mail. Like, like hate mail upon hate mail. You guys came in here and loved us. And so church, when the Bible calls us to good works, the Bible's not calling us to go and to send out hate mail to people. How easy and simple is that? Especially if you're one of those people who send like anonymous things, that's not, that's not uh, bravery, that's cowardice. But we're supposed to look, and instead of judging them, you know, judging strippers, how could they do that, blah, 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 Man, to go behind, go across enemy lines and to find out more about these ladies, that's what ministry is about. That's what is the difference between us and the rest of the world. You know, when, when a disaster happens, we don't just throw money at the problem. We actually get in there and get dirty about the problem. We go in there and we, we put our hands and our feet that are Christ to work for that situation. I thought about, you know, we don't have a lot of strip clubs in Canastota that I know of. If you know of one, sinner, repent. Um, yeah, that was a joke. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for laughing at my jokes, Dan. You should have a microphone. You could be my laugh track uh, <laughs> for all this. But I thought, you know, we don't have it. What do we have? We have this big, giant, huge monument to greed in our backyard, don't we? We have, we have a casino, and they keep popping up. And, and so my first instinct is, ah, Casino! Uh, evil and bad and why are people doing that and giving away their mortgage money and wasting their life on false hopes. And I thought, man, I'm like those churches writing the hate letters. What's, what's going to be different about me and, and what Jesus would want me to do about that? I started thinking, man, these people probably need a lot of prayer. Because some folks are going in there for, you know, having a good time, blah, blah, blah. But there's a lot of folks going in there and they are bound and gagged and chained to that addiction. And the last thing they need is somebody judging them for that. What they need is somebody on their side praying for them, even folks who don't know them. So, so one of the things that I've uh, chosen to do is, is to pray. Not pray that, you know, the place would, you know, just be gone. I pray that the, that the hearts of people would be so changed that business wouldn't be that good anymore. That people would be so changed. It's not that the, 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 the temptation has been removed, although that's a good prayer but that people would overcome that temptation and that wouldn't be a temptation anymore. How realistic is that? I don't know. Is it naive? Maybe. What I know is this, is that God has called us to make a difference in our community, whether we're here or Syracuse or New York or Los Angeles, wherever we live, big city, little city, rural, suburbs, urban, whatever it is, we're called to do something through the power of Christ and through him that will be Seemingly, when people look at it, go, wow, how did you do that? And we say, I don't know, Jesus is good. 
I just know that I, God put this on my heart, so I started doing it, and he did stuff that I could never do on my own. And there was other people who thought the same thing. And instead of just joining in on the crowd that just yells at everybody, we decided to actually do something positive in the name of Christ. But all of that is found and accomplished within Christ, in him. So the big question every Sunday, every day really, is am I in Christ? Maybe you are in church. Maybe you are in the Bible. Maybe you are in prayer. But are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, those things will overflow out of you. You'll, you'll know to, to do those things. You'll desire, you'll begin to desire to do those things. More than just out of guilt, oh, I gotta read my Bible again, or God's gonna be mad at me. Okay, I got my two chapters down and get off my back. Like, no, that's not what God's gonna call us to. We'll get to a place where we read and we'll understand and we'll be intrigued and we'll have questions answered that will lead to more questions and you'll start to have this vibrant, full life that comes only through following Christ and being in him. So the real question is, are you in Christ today? For the Colossians, they had to be told seven different times. It is in Christ that you are this. It is in Christ. It is with Christ. Life is different. Romans 3 and 20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24 says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All of this, God has done everything possible for you to be in Christ by simply placing your faith in Jesus as the resurrected, anointed one, Messiah, Son of God, not only resurrected conquering sin and death but he will return you know as a church and i mean specifically as this church and this is my fault we've we've become lax in the return of jesus the second coming of jesus is no longer this great proclamation it's no longer this great hope it's just part of the the footnotes of the gospel no it's a major aspect of the gospel the fact that he came once to conquer sin and death and that he will return again to take us home to, to go to be with him, that he would be our God and we would be his people. That life as we know it here would be completely abolished and, and, and destroyed and the new life that he has for us would be all that we have. Tears wiped away, wholeness, completeness in him, that we would be with him in that second coming is as sure as the first coming and we hold fast to that hope. If you have placed your faith in Jesus today, you're a Christian. Before you've ever done anything, before you've, before you've helped a person, given a, 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 an offering, before you've ever served at all, you've placed your faith in Jesus, today you are in Christ. But now what do you do? Because that's so simple. Like some people can't accept the simplicity 
of the gospel. No, I must light a candle or go to a pilgrimage or something. I gotta go, I gotta do something. You know, I've read of, of stories of, of Muslims who, who, they go on their pilgrimage to Mecca and, and half of them don't even know why. Like, oh, we gotta do it. That's not to throw them under the bus. It's just, you know, people all around the world okay with doing stuff. They don't know why it pleases God. They just know that they have to do it. And the Bible gives us things to do and the reasons why to do them. Put your faith in Jesus that you might be born again. Well, now what do we do? Number one, admit grace. And that was the purpose of Romans chapter three. You have to admit that you need grace. We all need the grace of God. That means we all need God to, as Paul said, look over former sins and, and wash us of that to make us righteous. We ourselves, the Bible says, our righteousness hangs like filthy rags. It's, it's nothing we can go to God and say, hey, look at my filthy rags. Look at how great I am. Look what I did. This was where I served at the potluck and this is where I took that lady food and, and this is where you know, I gave X amount of dollars. But I don't have faith in you. Filthy rags faith in Jesus, in him, all your righteous acts are now pointed in the right direction, though they're doing what God has called you to do. You have to admit that you need the grace of God. Before, if that part hasn't happened, then you're missing out. The, the rest of these things don't even matter. Admitting grace is admitting and, and, and crucifying your pride saying, I do need somebody. I need someone to save me. I, I am in need of salvation. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The good news is that God doesn't bring you to that place to just kind of hold you under his thumb. He brings you to that place to liberate you. Those burdens that you've carried for so long on your shoulders, that stress and that guilt and that shame can now all just fall off you. Like water off a duck's back. You're just like, ah, it's not all right that I did those things, but God somehow is going to make those right. I repent of that life. I repent of that, that thing or that thought or that whatever. You need to admit that you need grace. Number two, you need to be killing sin. Uh, John, I didn't make that up. John Piper uh, quote, is quoted as saying, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I wish I had thought that up, but he's much smarter than I am. But the truth remains that if sin is existing in your, life, in your life right now, it's killing you. It's not something to just kind of toy with, or it's just there, I'll deal with it later. If sin is there, it's killing you. It might be slowly, it might be quickly. Rest assured, it is killing you. Galatians 5 and 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. The Bible doesn't call us just to, to, to wink at our sins or to, you know, oh, that was just a mess up. It says to crucify them. Crucify the flesh that wants to do that thing. Because we've been born again spiritually, we haven't been born again of the flesh. That comes later. So from now until then, we have this great war between flesh and spirit. Spirit wants to do the God thing and flesh wants to do the flesh thing. And so one has to win and either the flesh is killing the spirit or the spirit is killing the flesh. And so if you find yourself caught or stuck or, or in some type of a rut that you can't seem to get out of, start looking in your life and seeing if there's sin somewhere that you are not just doing, because we do sin and that is the worst and we shouldn't do that but are you harboring sin like yeah i crucified everything else but this one thing and i'm gonna hold on to it it's my precious i'm not gonna let anybody take this i i like it and, and maybe that's the root of the problems in your life 
that sin is killing you. You think you're preserving it. It's really just destroying you. If you are in Christ, you must be actively seeking to kill sin. Now, we don't turn it into a witch hunt. Like, oh, did you, did you sin? Is that sin? What? No, we're just, we're just, we're, we're serious with ourselves. Nobody fools us more than our own self, right? I swear, every Monday I'm going to get up. I'm going to exercise. I swear. And every Monday comes around. Nope. I have coffee. And then I sit. <laughs> like, like, there's no movement. There's no exercise. Lying to myself. Oh, diet starts Monday. I'll start saving next week. Oh, I'll start helping next week. Or I'll start... No. It's all in this ethereal, imaginary place where things are going to get done eventually. It doesn't happen. Number three. So admit grace. Be killing sin. Be redeemed. Another word that we don't use a lot in church anymore is, is redemption or, or the act of being redeemed. We understand being saved. We get that. But the idea of redemption blows a two-dimensional image out into a three-dimensional image. Here's what I mean by that. Um, when God forgave us of our sins, it wasn't just like a blank check. There you go. Quit bothering me, kid. You know, you're, you're cleaned up. Now just don't go sin anymore. Redemption is the idea that you belong to somebody else and God came and said, I want him, I want her, and I will give the price necessary to take them back. The other day, my son asked, you know, why can't you take this certain bottle back for the five cents? It was like a Gatorade bottle, so you don't get five cents for that. And I told him, well, you see, with the Gatorade bottle, when you go to the store, you just buy the Gatorade bottle. But with like a Coke bottle or a Pepsi bottle, um, you pay an extra five cents as an incentive to bring it back and recycle it later and get your nickel back. See, like most of us thought, oh, I just get free money by returning bottles. No, you get the money back, you've already paid for them. You redeem the nickel. You go back, here's the bottle, I want my nickel back. Bad plug for a bad band. Here's, here's my bottle, give me back my coin. You redeem it by paying the price to get it back, Right? You go to Aldi, most genius thing I've ever seen. You put the quarter in the cart, you get the cart. Guess how many carts I've left in the parking lot at Aldi's? Zero. Because I want to redeem my quarter. I want to get that coin back. So here's the price. Here's the cart. Here's my energy to take it back and get my, get my quarter back to me. The idea is that God has forgiven us, but he's purchased us as well. We belong to him now. He is, he is not just a guy who wiped our slate clean. He did that, but we belong to him. He has purchased us. He has paid the price alone to redeem us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 16, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul says to the Corinthians, look, your body, you think it's yours. It's really not. God owns you now. And he's not a, a slave master like we understand slavery as Americans. We become bond servants, willing slaves, because we realize that the God of all creation is a gentle and loving, kind father. Not just a God who just wants to order us around and tell us what to do and make us feel bad about it. But a God who loves us. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. 
making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ uh, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all the things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You have been redeemed by Jesus. You have been redeemed because God wanted you back. So the price he paid was Jesus on the cross, his own self coming, living a sinless life, to die a sinless man who's fully God, to conquer sin and death, to be resurrected, to live for you and invite, invite you into that life as well. Lastly, all these put together is just living for Christ. Who do you live for today? Do you live for sports? Do you live for money? Do you live for relationships? I mean, what do you, you're living for something. Just, just identify it. Be real with yourself. Be honest with yourself. What do you truly live for? Find the thing in your life that scares you if it were to be removed, and that's the thing you live for. If I told you today, I'm going to come and take this out of your life, and you got scared or fearful or angry about that, not just because it was being taken, but because that specific thing was being taken, you prob- it probably has too much of a hold on your heart today. The Bible preaches and teaches us about, especially Paul, a man who learned this the hard way, about being content in Jesus. Now, there's lots of good things in this world, you know, uh, pancakes with strawberries on them. I mean, that's a good thing, right? There's a, no, there is nothing bad about that other than maybe cholesterol, right? Um, going to, to a ball game and just watching y- your kids play a game. Is there anything wrong with that? No. They're good things. You know, sitting down watching a movie with friends and family and just hanging out. Is that a good, that's a great thing. But these things, if they get too, too close to the throne of our heart, they begin to take the place of God. And rather than us serving him, we're now serving that thing. And so we are called to live for Christ, not to live for stuff. And as I started this off with, you know, once you get to that place of being content with Jesus alone, these things that he gives you, man, they become gifts. You know, you you go to the store and you get a good watermelon. You ever got a bad watermelon? It's like the worst. I, I love watermelon. That's why I went there. You get a watermelon, oh, it's bad. But you get a good one, and you're like, oh, Lord, you grew it. Like all of a sudden you're quoting the Psalms, and you know, the earth is the Lord's, and all that, whatever. That's as far as I can get to that Psalm. Um, you, you made this. Oh, how glorious. Cherubim must have danced upon this watermelon to make it so sweet. You're like, oh, you just enjoy it. You know, when your wife cooks you food, and you're like, oh, this is amazing. You give me this glorious wife that made this amazing meal or where the kids draw your picture. Oh, they drew the picture and it's amazing. It's not because those things have taken root in your heart. I mean, you, you, you love those things, but, but because you have God first, you can appreciate the rest of this. That's why so many Christians are so content with nothing. It's not about giving up stuff. They're just like, yay, I have stuff. Oh, it's gone? Yay, I still have Jesus. It's just Jesus was the point to begin with, so the stuff is just like whipped cream on the top of the Sunday. It, it's, you already have everything, so everything else is a bonus. And when it's taken away, which it eventually will, because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, then you're still okay. You're still all right. You're like, okay, that was good. You start you know, saying things like, yeah, it was good for that season. You know, say things like that, make it real Christian-y, but you're like, it's all right. God gave once, God's going to give again later. It's when you get to those dark valleys where you're like, no, we're in a dark valley, but you know what? God's with me. 
Here, quoting Psalm 23, you know, he's, he's alongside me. He's leading me to still waters and green grass. And I go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I fear nothing because you're with me. You might not be that cool about it. You know, on the inside, you might be like shaken. But on the outside, you're like, yeah, okay, Jesus has got this. And this is really the worst, and I would never choose this, but I know God's going to make something of this. I don't look back proudly at any sin I've ever committed. But I have this hope that God will take that sin and use it for his good and for our good and for my good. My son asked me, uh, Dad, have you ever lied? And I said, no, son. See that? That was a joke. That was a good one, right? I didn't even plan that joke. No, I said, you know what, son? You know, uh, here recently, I can't think of a lie that I told. I try to be as honest as I can. Um, but there was a day and a time in my life where, yeah, I thought lying was okay. I, I lied and, and didn't think twice about it. But since Jesus has got a hold of my heart, now I see the, how, how bad that that is. I see how I can hurt people with it, you know? I see how it's misleading and not just breaking a command, but it's, 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 it's affecting other people, including myself. And so I'm not, and, and in that moment, I started to think exactly what I just said. Man, I hope, Lord, you take those lies that I've told and somehow use them for your good and use them for my good. And, and maybe in this moment, in this teaching moment with my son, maybe that'll be part of that. I don't know, but I'm thankful that God will take those things intended for evil and use them for good. So when you look back on your sin, you know, when we call, when there's a call to repentance, it's not about just looking at your sin and saying, oh, I'm the worst. I mean, the most, the people that I know that I respect the most in Christianity are usually the ones who are most cognizant of their sin. They're most, they're the first to repent. They're the ones that, that really have a grasp on what that means. But it's not about looking back and saying, oh, Lord, we're so bad and, you know, whipping yourself and putting yourself through torture. It's, Lord, that was so bad, but man, you are so good. You are so loving. You are so kind. You are so much more than my own sin, and I thank you, Lord, for forgiving that sin. I thank you, Lord, that though there might still be consequences that I'm seeing from my sin, I know that on the day I stand before you, I will be enveloped in your son Christ, and you won't see a dirty, rag filthy sinner. You will see your son and you will see your righteousness and you will see your holiness and you will see everything that you've required in your son whom I have placed faith in. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Well, let me go back a little bit further. Matthew 6 and 33 says this, and this is one of my favorite verses. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know, a lot about you know a lot of people are, are are up in arms about our current political scenario. Are you seeking the kingdom and His righteousness first? That should be first on the list. Whatever your requirements are, wh- whatever your left or right, you know, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, whatever, wherever you're at, are you seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Because in context here, Jesus is talking about clothing and food and saying. Look, the birds, they don't store up food, but they're fed. The, the fields, they're, they're, they're more beautiful than Solomon in all of his splendor. And, and, and what do they do to do that, to get that? Nothing. It says, for us, seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added to you. It is literally like jumping off of a cliff and just trusting the Lord to catch you. 
but the assurance is that God indeed will catch you. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Romans 14 and 8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So recently, and when I mean recently, I mean about three or four years ago, we, we began to pray for a man named Pastor Youssef uh, Narcahani. And he was uh, uh, an imprisoned pastor in Iran. Uh, imprisoned for simply preaching the gospel in a place where the official religion is Islam. And so they're not simpatico. You can't do both. And so this man was doing it. He was arrested. And through the efforts of people involved with the ACLJ and different, different folks, uh, eventually he was released. Saw over, this, uh, over the last couple of days, he's been rearrested. Him, his wife, and members of his church. Why? For preaching the gospel again. Because they didn't stop. Because they, didn't, they don't belong to Iran. They don't belong to that regime. They don't re- be- belong to whatever dictator they have. They belong to Jesus. And so the gospel must be preached. And so as Paul has said, if we live, we live for Christ. If we die, we die for Christ. No matter what we do, our goal is the glorification of Jesus. So we go out into our world. Now, we're not going to get arrested by preaching the gospel, you know, unless you do it in some kind of crazy weirdo way. You go out there. Oh, man, life is the worst. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. I don't want to hear about this Jesus. Okay. Or tell me more. Or I don't know what to think. Hey, man, just let me love you. Let me comfort you. Let me, let me give you a Bible. Let me, let me invite you to Bible study. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Because ultimately you belong to him, not yourself. So the last scripture we'll, we'll share 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's that phrase again, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So today is an opportunity to be brand new. You are not like you were before you knew Jesus. Even if you are running from Jesus today, you're not the same person anymore because you're running from Jesus for a purpose. You don't want him to get a hold of you. So... You're still not the same person even though you haven't repented of your sin because he's there and you hear him and you know what you're supposed to do but you just keep hoping that maybe he'll be quiet and he's not gonna. So I want to pray for you. The idea of being new and brand new and pure and holy is the opportunity that we're also desperately seeking. So let's stand. If you want to come to the altar, that's great. Um, The altar is a great symbol of a place to lay down your life before God and say, God, here I am. Take me, send me, whatever. You can do it from your pew as well. Some of you hold on to your pew like it's a parachute. Like, you guys need that to stay safe. It's not keeping you safe. So I want to pray with you today. And today being a time where we start if we haven't already been in Christ, if you're there, if you're like Pastor Tony, I heard that message and I am in Christ, um, then I'm going to ask you to pray for people. Father God, we praise you. And it's not, it's not easy, Lord. I don't come to you and just expect to be in Christ. When I look at my own life, when I look at the sin that I've committed and things I've done, Lord, I'm not worthy. Father, when we reflect upon the past, we, we can easily come to the conclusion that you are 
in the right by, by just leaving us, except that you have promised not to. You have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, you have promised that if you are for us, who can be against us? And through your gospel today, I find that you are, indefin- you are definitely for us being in Christ. Father, for those of us who maybe have avoided that or run from that or maybe haven't understood it, Lord, I pray today that you would open the eyes of our hearts, if you will, that the truth of the gospel would penetrate the soil of our heart and that we would be alive in Christ, that we'd be in Christ from here on out. For those of us who are indeed, Lord, we are in Christ. We, we may be failing at it. We might not be the best at it, but we know by faith who Jesus is. Lord, I am so thankful that nothing is up to us in our performance. I'm thankful that even as we perform, you help us, Lord, to do good works, to do good things for our brothers and sisters and for the world that maybe doesn't even appreciate what we do. I'm thankful that even as we fail, you still love us. That your, your command is always to, to go and to sin no more. I thank you, Lord, for your grace that only you have. Help us all, Lord, wherever we're at and wherever, whatever walk we're in, Lord, help us to be redeemed, to have the mindset, the cognizance of being redeemed, being alive to you, Lord, to to be actively killing sin in our lives, Lord, and to live for you day in and day out, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.